0: Suicide's never been a something that's been an issue for me or anything I've um, considered, which I feel very lucky about. But I was the kind of couldn't get out of bed, you know, just and not even down all the time, but just like emotionless, you know, just completely numb to everything. But just and that was quite frightening.
1: Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm very excited. We're we're just warming our voices up because it's a really early start for both me and Scott Newby, who's on the other end of the line. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. So, thanks for 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 being with us. So, Scott, well, I'm so excited to have him because we're going to talk mental health. We're going to talk um, the the recent campaign that he's been. Uh, um, working on, and that's going to be starting on the twenty second of January. But mo- mostly, he's on a mission to make two thousand nineteen the year that positive mental health is promoted and supported in every workplace in the UK, which is very aligned with what I do. So we're so excited to have you, um, Scott. Give us a little sense of of the work that you do at the moment and and why you're passionate about it.
0: Yeah. So um, just over a, a year ago, I. Left my employed career, if you like, with the, the financial services, with Lloyds Banking Group, um, and set up my own company called Nubicore. Um And initially it was a mixture of looking to support organizations with in terms of their well-being, their engagement, but also their kind of business processes, and their strategic sort of planning as well. I guess just for the nature of it, I ended up doing more of the the strategic planning and the process improvement side of things, a bit of training. Um, and yeah, I'm hugely passionate about well-being and well-being in the workplace and people kind of, you know, being, removing the stigma around depression and mental health and being more sort of understanding and tolerant of it, uh, and particularly in the workplace because we spend so much time there. Um, so, But I always felt like I couldn't do that until I'd shared my story. So it was a bit of a chicken and egg scenario, um, which I know is a bit silly, but it, it's just the way it was. And then um, in October last year, Um, I don't know, I just had an overwhelming urge to, to share my story. Um, so yeah, October last year, I shared my story and then, so what, about three months ago and since then I've just, it just, the weight off my shoulders was incredible. And then just the, the passion behind it since then. So I had three months and I've just been flat out just working on ways that I can work with clients uh, and to improve workplace wellbeing in terms of getting the message out there through to campaigning and, and the kind of, you know, I feel quite lucky about a voice, um, reasonable sort of network and thinking let's let's use that voice for good so yeah Yeah, and
1: but it's a really big step to like leave employment like i did that about a year ago and just that roller coaster right um um, was that the plan like so but so before you told your story were you already thinking actually i want to work in this space or i want to shift you know how i work
0: um it was no not really so i think in financial services I i was there for about 12 years um Breaking up, but I was there for about 12 years and just went straight in there after university as you, as you do, you know, into the financial services se- sector. And then I was always doing well, getting promoted and, you know, without having to kind of, not that I'm very hard working, i not having to push myself too hard for the next level. I uh, end up in sort of senior positions. And then in 2014, had a bit of a sort of my first kind of, I guess, main sort of episode of, of depression that I've had. Um, since 2001, which was um, when my mom passed away and then 2014 had that had a bit of time off work, got, got some treatment through therapy, kind of felt got to the point where I felt like, inverted commas better. I went back to work and just went back into kind of normal everyday life again. Um, but I, I always had this itch that I wanted to scratch around. I want to do something good. I want to help people. I am pretty knowledgeable and educated on mental health. Um, I've been in senior positions within large organizations, so I can, I've seen it done well and I've seen it done very badly um and obviously having suffered myself I've got the the kind of experience around it so yeah so then I went back to normal life if you like and then it just as it often is with these things it's a slow downward spiral uh, and then in 2017 um it kind of hit me again and it was that point where a combination of um my own mental health sort of taking a bit of a nosedive and this kind of desire to do something differently and a bit more kind of purposeful. Um, what led me to make that decision to to leave the bank? It was interesting talking about earlier really about having kids. So my uh, I've got two kids. and My youngest at the time was one year old. So yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a really daunting prospect. You know, well paid job. You know, all yeah. the security that comes with that. But um, but yeah, I don't regret it for a second. The amount, I've had so much quality time with my children. Um, not just the actual quantity; but it's the quality. I was working late in the bank. When I was getting home, my head would be thinking about it. And I wasn't really present with them, even though if you know what I mean. so um yeah, it's been been life changing. It's been tricky, you know. yeah, it's, yeah, 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 challenging, um, like, right. Well, yeah, my wife very supportive. So I was very lucky in that respect, because, you know, saying, no, I'm going to leave my well paid job and go out on my Follow own. Follow the dream. There with a piece of paper.
1: <laughs> That's so exciting, though. Yes, exactly. Um, but I know. T- tell us just a bit like, so So you obviously had a, a pivotal moment when, when your mom passed in 2001, and different episodes of, of depression and awareness around mental health. And I'm curious, before any of that happened, what was your awareness or, you know, as a man in financial services, like, did did you understand anything about mental health before you were hit by it did you have the language around it or did your life experience actually open your eyes to any of that
0: uh yeah, absolutely yeah so i didn't i wouldn't have really had much understanding of it at all um i certainly didn't feel that kind of level of uh, able to go and kind of talk about it absolutely so yeah when my mom passed away in 2001 obviously you have grief like anyone would you're, you're still kind of bereavement but what actually kind of transpired through that was actually I realized there was a, a little bit more at play than just kind of grief and that's when I realized there was some sort of poor mental health there, uh, depression um, and got some support through student council at the time which just automatically happened because I was at university.
1: Can I just pause uh, you because I'm curious about yeah, how, how you know the difference because lots of people will experience grief and, and, and grief yeah. can go like that right so sometimes you feel okay and then something gets triggered and it's like tricky to there's no, it's not a linear process of beginning to end. And so at what point, or I don't know, what were the clues that you thought, actually, there's something more going on with my mental
0: health? Actually, yeah, there's a really good point. Actually, just if I, if I rewind slightly, um, I actually do. Rem- I remember that very first moment around this feels different. And actually, it was before my mom passed away. It was when my mom, uh, she got breast cancer for the second time. And I was at university in Edinburgh. And my mum was down in, in Lincolnshire where we grew up. Um, so quite a far away, away. And she, she rang up and said, you yeah, know, this would have been sort of early 2000s, right? And you know, uh, sorry, 2001, said, oh, I'm, I'm, I've got cancer again. And I kind of, yeah, I was living with a few mates at uni and I just kind of took it on board and thought, that's fine. And didn't really, just kind of, she'll be fine. We'll get And Just kind of brushed it off. And then I remember about a week later, um, just sitting in the living room and I lived with five of my best mates at uni and I just remember sitting in the living room and I just felt this over horrible feeling of not being able to breathe just the it kind of the realisation kind of came crashing home and I remember just thinking I can't, I, I felt lost, didn't know what to do I didn't know who to talk to whether to go and you know, leave the room I didn't remember just leaving the house cause I just had to do something I remember just jumping on a bus getting the bus into, into the city centre of Edinburgh Walking around the city, the gardens there, and just yeah, horrible. Felt like it was never going to end. This feeling of, and I think that was the moment where I realised, wow, this is. And then fast forwarding again, I think after I got those feelings after my mum had passed away, and the, uh, I kind of realised that actually I had probably suffered from it a little bit in my teenage oh, years, okay. but, but at the time you probably you just I mean, didn't know. 20 yeah 20 20 odd years ago you know i mean so no one really talked about it and it was just i just put it down to you know a bit teenage angst but there was stuff in my childhood although i had a very i enjoyed a lot of my childhood there was stuff that wasn't so good and i think now retrospectively i've kind of dealt with that through therapy and um so it was part of me but yeah it's it's a great question though, because what is the difference between waking up in the morning and um feeling like oh i don't want to go to work today which we all do at some point and actually thinking I can't go to work today. And what's mm. and it's a it's a real, it's, I mean, it's a it's a tricky, very, very tricky. I think it took me a long time to realize actually it's more going on here than just, you know, I'm tired or I can't be going to go to work. Or it was a real I started to realize actually it was a bit more powerful than that. It had a bit and more of a hold on me.
1: Would you identify with like would you say that you've had any rock bottom moments where it was sort of a crash point that was a deciding moment of? I mean, I know for me. I, I resonate with that terminology, I was suicidal and, and realized that, you know, I, I had a choice at that point that I could yeah. either end things or I had to figure out like how to ask for help or how to do something like, would, would you say that because I don't know what your culture w- was as well growing up around asking for help. And, and you're talking about going to therapy, but like what that process was like for you to mentally go, like, I've got to ask for help, like, I don't know what else to do.
0: Yeah. So no, absolutely, there was. So yeah, when I had first the therapy in two thousand and one, after my mum passed away, that was it. Was just almost standard because it was it was student therapy, and I was at university, missed and I'd very missed at, six yeah. weeks. Yeah, and I'd missed six weeks of uni, so I was on the verge of having to the same right. You're gonna have to make a decision whether you repeat or not. Um, but it was very helpful. But it was felt like it was dealing with that the grief, and that was it. Of course. But then for the next thirteen years, there was moments where I felt this. You know, I felt very down, and and I was thinking to myself, but I was just saying, you know. Can't stop being weak, you know. Man up, go and Ooh. put yourself together all the usual stuff you do, you actually, as you do. And then in 2014, um, I had a probably my first major sort of serious episode of it. And I'm very fortunate, um, in that suicide's never been a something like that's been an issue for me or anything I've um considered, which I feel very lucky about. But I was the kind of couldn't get out of bed, you know, just. And not even down all the time, but just like emotionless, you know, just completely numb to everything. But just, and that was quite frightening. And it was at that point, um, I started talking to my wife about stuff that she'd obviously aware there was some stuff going on, but stuff I'd never shared with her. And at that point, with help from her, um, I went and booked in to see a therapist. Um, and it was, I was very fortunate. I mean, the therapist was amazing, you know, brilliant, one of the best in her field and life changing for me. So that was the beginning of the, the recovery process for me so yeah 13 years of kind of telling myself come on i mean i'm a, I'm a guy i love football i played football yeah you know i get to the pub with my mates and have a beer you know it's i <laughs> it, my my de- demographic we just it would it, the thought of even five years ago the thought of coming out and saying guys i'm struggling would you know no just wouldn't happen in, in my not because people. There's anything wrong with people I'm with. It's just that demographic we're in. We just don't talk about it. It's just
1: it. learned behavior, right? It's like what's okay and what isn't. You wouldn't even think of, of speaking in that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, when I played football and then I, I had an injury and I went on to coach and manage football, I was always, you know, a captain of the team. I was always a leader. It's always kind of 99% of the time very outgoing and vocal and sort of trying to be motivational. So I think people wouldn't expect it of me as well. So for me to turn around and say, I'd counsel maybe two or three hours before about going to coach football training and I'd get one of my kind of assistant managers to, to go and to take the session for me and I would just say you know oh, I've got a cold or um something but really uh, on there was occasion where that's, it was because but was that's a really good point because that's what a, lots kind of people do right health, is they was,
1: report a physical illness because that feels like they don't have to explain it yeah. as much or they imagine there'll be less stigma or people will understand right and so yeah I'm curious so you obviously were playing into that a little bit at first as well and I'm curious about your work environment because traditionally, financial services is pretty hardcore as well, as far as showing a weakness and work your ass off and all that sort of thing. Um, and and I know that your your work now is very much inspired by having yeah. seen like what well being looks like do, done well and what it looks like done shit. Right? It sounds like you've had the full range, yeah. right? We can swear on this podcast. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> by <yeah>. the way. <laughs> um, And so (laughs) what was your experience, I guess, just from the workplace? Because you're describing not being able to get out of bed sometimes. I mean, what was that bit
0: like? Yeah, it's funny because I think for me, there was some good and bad stuff happening at work. I don't think work was ever a, a big player for me because I think for me personally, it was more was stuff that had happened in my life and in my childhood that I'd never dealt with. And then when I got therapy, all coming out. Uh, basically it was like lifting, at the Ooh. time in 2014, yeah. I was 33 and it was like 33 years of wow. lifting the lid. Yeah. And talk about stuff I've never spoken about in my life. Um, but yeah, in terms of work though, there was, yeah, I've had some good managers, some horrific managers as well, you know, bullies, um, never had too much impact on me, but I'd seen people around me where you know, people would be crying and and so on. That's that's the kind of impact they were having. And I was thinking, this is just this is just wrong and how making people feel hurt, really, really horrendous. Um and it's interesting what you were saying because as I say, I was in financial service for twelve years, and as I was there, the absence stats related to stress, mental health, depression increased year on year. But that's just the people that are admitting to it as well.
1: Yeah. So yeah, all yeah. the other
0: people that are I've got the with flu. a chest infection or a cold. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that aren't talking about, so it's even obviously it's significantly higher than what the stats are showing as well. So, yeah, I think it, there's still my 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 viewpoint on it is is that there's lots of good stuff happening. I mean, last year, there was a lot more good conversation around and better awareness. That's a good starting point. Yeah. Um, and a lot of organisations outwardly looking to talking and, and saying the right things. My my what my experience and my kind of issue with it is is that you've still got all these maybe middle managers. And if they're not buying into that of their you know that kind of way of thinking, if, if I'm an employee, it doesn't matter what the the kind of propaganda the outwards message of the organization is. If my manager is saying, "Oh, that person's be yeah. late today they're they're lazy or you know or oh, they're off again, you know they're out or, or the of return
1: thing. to work as as well if people come yeah. back to work after an absence due to depression or something like that. And nobody knows what to say. Everyone avoids it and it's super awkward. And you know, it makes the return to work like like really challenging as well. Like, what do you say? How do you reintegrate yeah. back into the workplace?
0: No, absolutely. And one thing, I, so in my last role within financial services, I was looking after an operation of um, over a hundred people and I had sort of managers that were reported to me that managed teams of people. And sometimes i would be chatting to guys and someone had been off for a week and they said they'd been off with a cold, whether they had or not. Um, and it'd be, some, some of the language would be, oh, they're, you know, they're lazy, they're at it, you know, Skype and all that stuff. And my my mentality was, like, innocent until proven guilty. Why don't you, when they come back into work, yeah first you say to them is, let's go for a coffee and have a chat. I'm concerned you've been off and you're not feeling very well. What's happening? Are you okay? Build up a trusting relationship, like you're saying there. And then it becomes an easy return to work and you start to build up that trust, rather than just automatically default to you know thinking the worst of people. And I think I, that's it's not it's just human it's just actually asking managers to behave a bit more human and just we don't know what's going on in people's lives you know things could be happening in, and it often is behind closed doors you know so you know be mindful of that that we're not robots we are we are human beings and not every day is going to be exactly the same so and, and I know this, get...
1: this is going to sound like common sense to us too but what's yes. the benefit of that What's the benefit of a manager simply treating somebody like a human, assuming that everyone's got a story, taking that time? Because there's often the fear that oh, I haven't got the time to, you know, uh, you know, give people hugs and do the fluffy stuff and drink the coffee and wh- whatever. Like, what's the benefit for the workplace of that simple bit of extra
0: humanity? It, it, it's just it builds that trust and respect. It's incredible, I think you know, if you can empathize with people and just be human as a man, people, when I started management, people used to say, well, you need to be completely detached from your workforce. You know, you can't show weakness and all that, right. but actually having a bit of vulnerability. Yeah. You can't be best friends all the time and in the pub after working out. Yeah. You've got to, there's got to be a level of kind of professionalism, but you can have a friendship. You can be build relationships and trust and be vulnerable, you know, and, and people then respect that. And I, I think being a good manager is just about it's about being authentic. So if you're just being a genuine human being and sitting down and having a coffee with someone, and saying, "I think that trust then builds up," and then next time they're not well, they'll open up. If they if they have a bad experience with their manager, then they're not going to open up again, or they're not going to then they're just going to continue to you know yeah. hide the truth from them. And I think that's it's so important just to be. And I understand sometimes it's because the pressure on. And it just is really high or whatever. And the pressure starts, you know, bad media story. And then the pressure filters down from the directors. And I know they're having a tough time of it and they're all over, they're stressed over what. So then they maybe take that out on their staff rather than giving themselves just a couple of minutes to breathe and say, do you know what? I'm having a difficult week because of all the other stuff, but it's not their fault. And I'm going to still treat them like a human being and build that trust with them. So um, and that comes and down to
1: self awareness, right? So the manager understanding their own stress levels, their own trigger points, how to keep their story over here, but how to connect and be vulnerable in order to create a safe space for other people to be the same.
0: Absolutely, and it, it's, from my experience, yeah, don't be wrong. It's being a being a manager is really really tough, and you especially if you've got teams of maybe twenty individuals, and they're all different, and you've got to treat them all differently, and you're one minute you're you know. Someone's parent. The next minute you might be a counselor. The next minute you have got to be the the person that's down that need to perform better. Yeah, all this stuff, you know. And it's very very difficult. I mean, they don't get the, the guy off the manager often managers often get this training to do that. So yeah, it does often become quite overwhelming for the managers, and the stress levels of having to manage the the people in the team, but also deliver performance for their for their organisation. And it is about self awareness, but it's also about I guess then, as a the next level up is understanding these guys are dealing with people, they need support as well to, you know, often there'll be sponges. I always think the managers are often like sponges.
1: But then there's often not like good peer support, like when you have your management meetings to be able to be real there and provide support on that level so that you are able to continue to look after people in that way. I feel like it it would be simple tweaks, wouldn't it, within your management meeting or within your your two-minute coffees or whatever to just really see each other. Um, and so there's two way- things I still want to cover on, on this podcast. One is, uh, cause I want to get to your campaign cause I'm fascinated by it, yep. but, but I want to, before I go there, I just want to say like, bring us up to speed now. So you, you've got depression, you've had some rock bottom points, you've gotten support, how, you've got two young children, you're in business yeah. by yourselves, like roller coaster central, right? Yeah. How do you look after your own mental health now? Like, how do you manage yourself?
0: Uh, good question. And on all that, I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And I've I've never felt better since since October, that weight off the shoulders and, and doing something um that I have a purpose for is actually it's been an absolute life changer for me. But yeah, in terms of uh, there's a couple of uh, presentations I've done and I've talked about I call it finding your football. Now that's because I love football. But the the premise of it is, and this is something that I got through therapy in terms of understanding it, is However busy life is, you talk to them there your young kids doing the school runs, working for yourself, you know, doing all the bills, relationship, you know, having to rela- money. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes you get up in the morning at six, Four. and you're sitting on the sofa at nine at night with the kids just gone to bed, and you think, "Where's the last
1: yeah. you know, fifteen <laughs> hours
0: gone?" And you're just exhausted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what I, what's really important, I think, and I used to think it was selfish of me to do this, so, or or to think about doing this, and that's where. Um, I kind of changed my mindset is to give an hour or two for yourself, even if it's just an hour or two a week. It's so, so important to find that. And for me, it used to be football Whether it was playing football or then managing. Um, I had a really bad injury in my mid twenties. So I couldn't play after that. Mm. And so a couple of years ago I took up golf. So golf has now being like my football. I've replaced it. And, and every, you know, it takes a few hours to play golf as well. And it's that in the fresh air and, you know, and you just, and I quite like played on my own sometimes, but often I have a few mates that I go playing with as well. And that just, away from it all, escapism, chatting with your friends at uh, the Fresh Air play sport, you know, and you, you, it might not be every week, but even if you're doing that once or twice a month, and it just, it's a bit of you time away from everything. And I think that's so important. It, and it's easy, I think naturally as human beings, we're often, we'll put ourselves last. So it's yeah. so easy to say, well, actually, you know, if I'm not working, I should be with the family. If I'm not with the family, I should be working. Yeah. And, and actually trying to find that time. But I think it's now, I'm a, I'm a much... I'm a better husband. I'm a better dad. I'm a better businessman. I'm a better at everything. If I'm mentally well, because I'm giving myself a little bit of time and yeah, so that's that find that little bit of time actually makes everything else. You're better at everything else in life. And it's just trying to get into that mindset of, it's you know, reframing what, it's to give how you
1: think about it, right?
0: Yeah. And it could be anything. It could be whatever, something you're passionate about. It could be learning a language. It could be knitting. It could be football. It could be golf. It could be, you know, anything, Connecting swimming, whatever. People, yeah. Yeah. What, and I think, I think well, that's a good point. I think previously, because I wasn't giving myself that kind of time to do something, maybe kind of a bit more kind of healthy, then the default is that you get to the point where you feel like you, you know you're a bit overwhelmed, and you need some time, and then the natural thing is to go to the pub with your friends and get drunk. And, yeah,
1: and, I think and that which is a depressant, the, and the cycle continues, right?
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's important to have something that is yours that you enjoy, and you you know, you're, you're very kind of protective of, and you you make sure you do, it, however busy you are. Because otherwise, your default might be to do something that's a little bit more destructive, like well, I'm just going to go to the pub because I need a, I need a release. So, there's not wrong with that. I go to the pub sometimes my friends. Yeah, like that. Wrong with friends, yeah. Be, but not being the natural go-to, having something that is for you. Some people love going to the gym. You know, it could be anything, but it's just it's being very selfish about that. I think, and just saying, mm. there's two hours a week. This is my two hours.
1: I love that. I needed to hear that as well because I've been like <laughs> like I'm getting a bit sick. I've just been driving hard at work and I just need to um take the time. <laughs> it's not selfish. It's like looking after myself. Um what are your absolutely. warning signs? Like do you have war- like because you've got some more self-awareness now about your depression and like do you have some warning signs like 5 or 10 steps before that you kind of realize, "Fuck, I've got to I've got to do the stuff yeah. because I forgot about it," you know? Like what are your little warning signs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's the things that um <laughs> My wife will probably say as well, yeah, I recognize them. Yeah, it's things, yeah. Irritability is a big one for me. Um, so I'm I never I never lose my temper, I'm very quite laid back. Um, probably because I, don't, you, yeah, <laughs> historically you didn't talk about stuff, so you just absorb it all and um, bit of a close book. But then I start to get irritable, which I notice and I can feel it building up inside of me, you know. And it's like so things like that. I can tell my sleep is really I've always had problems with sleep, sleep becomes more and more broken. Um, overthinking, you know, in the middle of the night, waking up. And generally, just feeling a bit rubbish. It's interesting we think we touched on it earlier is because I've always pushed it to one side in the past a physical illness would end up taking hold of me, whether you know being physically sick or or you know having a stomach bug or whatever because I, because I wasn't listening to it, my body gets to the point of saying, "Right, we need you to stop um and so that's other signs, you know, I'll start to actually have some physical signs of being it. I Ill. love
1: that point,
0: And though, it starts to, yeah. The
1: connection between mind and body and how our body is often telling us something, whether we're exhausted, whether we're irritable, whether our stomach hurts or whether our, like our headaches or, or things that start coming up. It's like asking ourselves, what's the connection and what do I need to take responsibility for to look after my body and my mind?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I remember I've done a bit of research on it and it's so connected. And that's, I remember when I had my kind of uh, final kind of depression episode when I was still working um, in financial services in 2017, I actually, I I knew, I I could feel it building up, but I I just started a new job. I was pushing myself through, it was fine. And then uh, one night in the middle of the night, I was sick as a dog, more than you could even imagine, probably the sickest I've ever been. And it was my body saying, we're not letting you go to work tomorrow and the next obviously I, was, I physically couldn't leave the bedroom you know so my body had made me say stop and it's and so and I probably wouldn't have done it at that point because mentally I would be just it would be yeah. difficult but I'd be pushing myself through pushing myself through yeah. pushing myself through um so yeah it's amazing how the physical but I guess what we really want to do is be get to before that point the preventative actions where you just see it maybe starting a tiny bit sure and then you start doing this right up so going and, go and that's then go and do so now if I do start to feel it I'll say right I'm going to go and pick I an hour, off go and hit some golf yeah. balls or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever
1: it may be. Yeah, that's the, the ideal is to have that. Well, and not even preventative when we see the signs, but to have habits in place that we know we just need to have that stuff in our lives, right? It can just be Absolutely. pretty tricky in our fast-paced society, which leads us yes. nicely into your <laughs> yes. campaign, right? Um, so the campaign is, correct me if I'm wrong, hashtag scene, not screen. Tell us about yep. the campaign because this podcast is going to be published on Monday the 21st. And the campaign is starting on the 22nd, I believe. But if the posters are out there already, people can find it on your website. So give us a sense of, you know, what inspired you to do the campaign? What's it about?
0: Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, so hashtag scene, not screen. Um, and it was when I shared my own story in October for the first time. So that was the first time I'd kind of opened up to the world, if you like, about my own kind of challenges. Um, and I wanted to do that because of my 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 kind of, you know, I thought a lot of people could relate to that and it would help them. And then, since then, I just had an over, kind of say, overwhelming urge to do something really positive. And the more I've kind of started working in that space and looking into it, and and being more aware of my own kind of habits, now I started to realize that one of the biggest things is the disconnection now between um, human beings. You know, because everything is done through our phones. You know, whether WhatsApp, texting, you know, all that stuff, emails, social or, media, yeah. E- yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's twenty four hours a day. It's yeah. there. So that actually now people don't connect, I think, as much as they used to. Um, I noticed it now, you know, I could be sitting in the in a friend's house or in the pub watching the football with a mate, you know, and sometimes a couple of guys will just be sitting and they're on their phone the whole time and you're thinking, back in the day you'd sit and you'd watch the game together and you would just chat. And it, yeah, it would and it would or you know, you just sit and you just talk. There'd be no kind of distractions or, you know, is there something else on the text that's a bit more interesting? Or and I think that's that's become such a huge factor. Um, and technology and it's not I mean, technology is a good thing, but it's it's the education around how we use it. And I think one of the reasons that mental health is becoming more and more of a, an issue, and particularly obviously with young people, is because there's that lack of that human connection. And it's it is a it's scientifically proven that that the, the importance of that is you cannot kind of overstate it. So so the campaign is yeah, it's we launched it on the fifteenth of um, January, it was about a month before Christmas. I just had this. I don't know. I had this. Overthinking in the middle of the night, where I have all my best ideas. Yeah, had this idea. I want to do something to try and move people away from their screens, spend more time kind of chatting with each other. Yeah. On yeah. the fifteenth <laughs> of January, it went out, kind of through all the social, the irony through all the social media channels, um, just kind of sharing what the campaign's all about. I'm just trying to get as many people involved as possible, leading up to the twenty second of January. Then, when hopefully How can they take as part? many people as we possibly can do? all over the world will kind of get involved, and then at the end of it, so. So, so the best thing for them to do is if they follow all the details, they can go onto our website as well, which is wwwnubicorecouk forward slash see not screen. And all the details are on there. Um, and basically what it is, yeah, on Tuesday 22nd of uh, January, go and meet a friend. It could be a friend. It could be a colleague. It could be a neighbor that looks lonely, you know, because they've, you know, whatever it may be. And take yourself away from your kind of normal habits. Maybe of sitting on your phone at night and could be during the day or night and just have a sit down and if it, an hour or to or however long it is just put the phone on silent put it away for that time um and just enjoy having a chat and it doesn't have to be talking about feelings or mental health because it's talking about actually don't always have to have that and just feeling you know having a good chat basically um and then at the end just at the end take a quick picture um on their phones um a view with your friend uh and then just post it onto social media um with the hashtag seen not screen um and the reason that is just trying to a bit of fun around it, um, but also trying to encourage other people to do the same, because although it's a campaign for a particular day, you know, and hopefully you know, if it's successful and we get really good response rate and it helps people hopefully make it an annual thing, but it's really about the behaviors off the back of it. So then, you know, the week after that and the week after that people become more mindful and, you know, put a bit more time in for going to see a friend they've not seen for six months um, and I, I, feel it myself, you know, I've got a busy life and I, I don't see my friends or, or people, or people I used to work with as much as I, anywhere near as much as I used to, where I used to probably pop for a pot around and see them It just doesn't happen anymore. So yeah. it's just trying to encourage that human connection. And it. there's a poem that went with it as well, which I wrote. I just watched again. it this
1: morning. I love it. <laughs>
0: yeah, thank you. Yeah. My acting's not very good. Doing the, no, the, it was the good. It's better than my delivery. <laughs> um, no, thank you. But the, again, that, it's funny. That was a. This is one of the, I guess, upsides of being an overthinker is that again that that came to me over about three nights in a row just before Christmas, in while well, in bed at night when I was couldn't sleep. And then one morning I just got up and I just like brain dumped it in about half an hour, I tweaked it, and that was it. So I um it. I just wanted something to kinda of catch the imagination and catch that whole, you know was life for technology. Technology is great, but let's let's yeah, merge the two together.
1: Because it is great, but I can see it for myself and I see it in other people. If I'm in the queue for something, or if I'm on the tube, or if I'm I go to like a course or an event, like something, because I try and put myself out of my comfort zone to do stuff where, where I have to integrate. But if you're in that awkward little five, 10 minutes where you're standing by yourself and you know you're you're kind of rather than sitting through the discomfort and going, hey, let me make the effort to connect to somebody. It's so bloody easy to take the phone out and just be like, let my eyes be there so that I don't have to deal with this discomfort. And as we know, our human biology, fight or flight, we don't want to deal with the discomfort if we don't have to. We want to stay safe, right? Uh, And so our phone becomes this like safety mechanism where we can just like stare at it and not have to deal with the like being seen. So being seen as well as seeing someone else. And so I just like, I think the challenge really is for us to notice when we're doing that. And, to, and be like, am I just scrolling inanely on Instagram for no purpose whatsoever, right? Because that yeah. just tends to be the <laughs> yeah. thing. It's like, actually, I've, I've, I've handled all my notifications. I'm good. But it just yeah. feels safer, right? Um, yeah, so, yeah. I'm actually, tonight, I'm going to an improv class, which is totally terrifying for me. But <laughs> just simply for, to train myself to be out of my comfort zone and take the risk in connecting with other people because then you teach yourself that the the shame thing or the fear thing it's it's just in our head right and yeah, and, yeah. The, and then the benefit of that type of connection is just so good for the soul right it just um allows us to lead mentally healthy lives
0: so much yeah i mean that's you know we're we're not we're complex but we're still simple, so simple. Know, as human beings as well you know that that human connection is is natural it's what it should happen and the benefits we get from that and you're right it's and I, we all do it. If I'm if I'm at for a meal, for example, as soon as if you, and there's just two of you, say as soon as you the person you're having dinner with goes to the toilet or whatever, the first thing you do instantly, like rather. And back in the day, I was and I tried thinking myself. So I was like, first year at uni, 18 when I got my first phone, and I used to think, what did I do before that? I just would have just sat and just watched the world go by, and you know, and it's the same with like sitting watching the football at night on telly. Whereas in the I used to. Just enjoy just watching the game and losing myself in it now everyone's tweeting each other about what's just happened well i'm watching it so why are we tweeting each other about and i just think you end up not watching it you just you just end up becoming attached to this phone and your point you made about the whole scrolling thing here's a little t- tip actually which I've, I've made myself do for this is i've moved my main kind of icons you know social media like facebook linkedin instagram etc to not my first screen on my phone because you would go to check a message or a call or an email that you were waiting on, maybe at nighttime as well. And then you just start, before you know it, half an hour later, you you're just because you're on there, so you quickly go into your Facebook app or whatever. And I was thinking, this is ridiculous. You just end up scrolling for half an hour for no reason. But then
1: how many times also are you at, like I'm at a conference, and rather than being present and taking in the yeah. information, you're tweeting or you're, you're Instagramming the fact that you're there. Or people at concerts, people at their kids' oh, school plays, yeah like everyone's seeing it through the recorded screen and i'm just like where do those videos go where <laughs> yeah, do they exactly. even go right um and it's it's so much about the evidence that you've been there rather than immersing yourself in the experience which re- with the people that you're with right which totally makes you miss out and i think is definitely correlated with the rise in mental health issues
0: yeah absolutely it's all about yeah i've checked in at this place you know and i'm having a great time rather than actually having a great time i think that yeah, yeah that's I'm true. <laughs> something I'm so mindful of I when I go to a football game or a concert or whatever it may be I spend time with my my children I try and just as you say I always think well photos and videos are, are cool sometimes but probably very very rarely going to look at them so get one or two yeah absolutely but the rest of the time just sit be there. and enjoy them so much better than watching it through a, yeah. a tiny little phone screen so yeah, no, it's, it's so true. Um, yeah, but we a, have no precedent It's an piece, for, isn't it? It's how you know
1: what the impact we technology. We've become so we're gonna add all of that to the show notes. And of course, we'll yeah. be all over social media on the twenty first, uh, putting out this conversation and the campaign. Uh finally, uh what advice would you give Brilliant. to Thank a you. young man who um, you know, back in the day, put yourself back to the your, your initial episodes of, of depression and difficulty and or even before that, when you knew as a teenager that you and now in hindsight, yeah. you recognize that something was going on for you. Um, what's the first step that you think a young man could take in noticing yeah. that or in doing something to, to you know, like, w- w- what advice would you give to them?
0: Sort of feelings that you think aren't right, and you're feeling a bit more down than probably you do normally, or whatever it may be. Don't just like I did back then, don't just be like, oh, there's people worse off than you are. Just you know, be very dismissive of it and just kind of like, it's fine, get on with it. Because it builds up then slowly over time. Go and talk. I mean, I cannot, there's, obviously there's there's lots of different things out there these days, you know, and so many different things work for different people, whether it's through doing something, exercise, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's massage, whether it's medication, whatever. I mean, there's lots of different things to sort of help us. For me, there's nothing more important than just talking to someone. And I think my my experience is that the thought of telling people about it, talk about it, has been so much worse than the yeah. actual telling people about it. It's, I don't... I there's so much to, I,
1: fear. right? What's the fear of judgment, of being seen as weak, like that kind of stuff,
0: right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Exactly that. The feeling, being the weakness. Um, Yeah, the judgment, absolutely. And I think it's... But actually, I, I've not had any negative the people i spoke to i've not had any negative kind of comeback on that you know and it's the thought of it is worse than the actual doing of it and i think people are getting thankfully are getting a bit more mindful of it and it could be so yeah if you if you feel things aren't quite right don't kind of go into your kind of ball and think oh, i'm just gonna kind of ignore it yeah absolutely just and it doesn't matter it could be a friend it could be a stranger it could be a teacher it could be a colleague it could be a therapist. It could be anyone. It doesn't have you. Have to go tell the world about it. You just have to find that one person that you can talk to that helps you kind of open up and makes you. You know, you're sharing your problems with, them, and then can maybe offer you some advice and point you in the right direction of of where support is. And I think that first conversation is so important.
1: And not only is it not bad and terrible and all the fears that that we think about, but actually, it's exponentially good. Right? You talked about the relief uh, that you often give permission for other people to then be real, so the connection's deeper. You then have the benefit of living your authentic, true self for you, finding your purpose and doing like, there's exponential benefits, aren't there to just talking about what's really going on?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You just, the weight off your shoulders, you're kind of feeling less kind of, I guess, closed off and and less kind of suffocated because it's out there, you know, and it's, and people are are aware of it. And absolutely the amount of people, when I shared my story, the amount of people that came back to me kind of private messages as well saying, I've suffered with this for five years. People I wouldn't people I knew and people I didn't know and people you know I never would have thought of um, that suffered. And it's just amazing. It just the fact, and that's why the whole campaign, I just want to get people just being more open with each other, feeling comfortable to talk about anything and everything, and just, you know, and having that support of each other. Talking, I mean, the old cliche a problem shared, but it's 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 true. Just talking to people, that connection makes us feel a bit more feels like we're less on our own. We're not isolated. You say we've got that support of someone that if we need to they're there
1: amazing scott i feel like we could talk all day um, i know I'm, okay. a, I'm a talker
0: for sure yeah <laughs> that's
1: fun um, well we're in similar spaces so we could definitely talk all day yeah. but for now scott thank you so much for your your story of your vulnerability but also for the positive change that you're making in the world i'm excited about the campaign and supporting it thank you so much
0: brilliant no thank you very much for having me cheers